podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 501 of the Five Year Plan podcast. It's a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show, though. You had the warmth and positivity of the big 500 with Roy Hodgson. And now, back down to earth with a FUD. Joining me, Joe Walker, for this episode is Edmund Brack of the South London Press. We're always good to have you on. Brackers, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Joe. Thank you very much for having me back on. Always a pleasure. No, no, no. If you're, if you're available, we, we make that call. And- <laughs> Top of the list. Thank you very much. And uh, joining us on this, on this episode is the the Joel Ward to my Nathaniel Klein. It's Jack Pierce. <laughs> that won't be your best one yet. I like yeah. it. Yeah, like it, t- it ticks a number of boxes. That one for you, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah, it really does. Uh, although, given the abuse that Joel was getting on Saturday, maybe not the best week to be getting that one. <laughs> Poorly timed. Let's just say. <laughs> I'll take it though. I'll take yeah. it. But uh, good to have Thanks you as always. Joe. Yeah, thank you, mate. How are you? All right. Yeah, all good this end, all good this end. Can't wait to talk about a thrilling Saturday of football. Oh, I bet. Um, Sunny but, Bedfordshire. Indeed. But before we get there, um, a word from our sponsor, of course. As always, it's Grinking Sport this season, where football's more than a game. We've got a big month of televised Palace games ahead. I know the recent form doesn't make that very appetising, but um, we are on the telly a lot in December, including Sunday's visit to West Ham. So if you're not at the game, why not watch it at a Green King Sport Pub? You can find your nearest Green King Sport Pub on greenking.co.uk um, and look out for them on social media as well. Lots of giveaways, signed shirts, Champions League tickets. Um, you know, why don't you follow them on social media, Green King Sport, and uh, let us let them know that we sent you and uh, we'll be very grateful for that. Um um, also, before we get to the Luton game, and I know we're all desperate to revisit that, um, I just wanted to have a few words about Terry Venables, who sadly passed away at the age of 80 um, in recent days. We've had tributes from all over the world, actually. Um, a manager that made an impact not just in England, but at huge clubs like Barcelona and managed multiple national teams, including, of course, England. Um, he led us to the semi-finals of Euro 96, of course, and a very formative home tournament for myself and Jack, I'm sure. We're sort of very similar ages. And um, a lot of football fans of that generation, Euro 96 is kind of almost like a turning point in kind of international football kind of relations with the, with England supporters, particularly after the dirge of the 80s. And uh, do I not like that? Graham Taylor's kind of failures. Uh, Terry Venables brought the good, the good feeling back and the excitement back. And... Um, of course, so that's hence the kind of huge tributes we've seen um, across the country. But also, of course, you can't forget a former player and twice manager um, with Crystal Palace. Uh, for those that are too young to remember, he succeeded Malcolm Allison in 1976 for his first management job. Led third-tier Palace at the time to promotion, I think in his first season. And then in 1979, won the title of, from the second tier, the equivalent of the championship, to take us to the top flight. And that team was dubbed the team of the 80s. Uh, exciting young players, kind of in, in anticipation of what they could achieve over that following decade. And we did even get to the top of the top division for a very brief spell 
um, that following season. But despite that name and despite the exciting names, the the Vince Allaire's, uh, the Jim Cannons, the Kenny Sampson's, it, that biggest success didn't necessarily come to pass, certainly not with all of them together at Palace. Um, there's an amazing uh, BT slash TNT documentary about that team in the 80s with lots of them that you can seek out. I think it's still on demand, certain uh, providers. Uh, but yeah, it didn't quite work out. Palace, I think, were bottom of the league almost a year later and Venables left for QPR in 1980, October time, and took a few of the players with him before long. So that team of the 80s never came to pass. But if you look back in Palace history, um, you know, yes, we've been in the top flight for a decade now and it's unprecedented for us. But in terms of the most historic periods, the most exciting periods as a Palace fan, talk to anyone that lived through that time and it is about the team of the 80s and the Venables bringing us up the divisions and um, he's just that alone would be enough to be kind of a huge part of Palace history but you've also got the second spell in 98-99 which is less successful it's only about six months in the end because of the financial issues and and turmoil that that followed that that spell with Mark Goldberg's ownership but um Lots of reports and rumours and stories from that time you can look up in your own time that perhaps could complicate his Palace legacy. But for now, let's focus on that first spell and and the impact of him as a coach and as a, a tactician. And Edmund, you've got this brilliant piece coming in the SLP where you've spoken to a number of people that worked under him or worked with him. Could you elaborate on that a little bit for us, please? Yeah, so I've spent the, the past sort of day a day and a half speaking to speaking to the likes of Alan Smith, um, Jim Cannon, Vince Allaire and um and Peter Taylor just to get a real understanding of what Terry Venables was like as a coach and then a person. Um and the main sort of thrust of it that's sort of come across from all, all four of these people speaking in the piece is that this was a man ahead of his time. This was a man who sort of set the trend for where football is today. Um, Jim Cannon spoke about the training methods that they use, the eight versus seven, spending hours meticulously practicing it on the training ground, um, practicing on the overload and, and the higher press, which is something which is just common in, in every single team these days. Um, Vince Allaire told wonderful stories of, of when um, Terry Venables made him buy um, Kenny Sampson's car and, and, Jim, and Alan Smith spoke about I believe that Terry Venables had a club called Scribes in, in the West End and, and they sit outside during the summer drinking Chardonnay together and um, you know, Alan Smith finished it off by a beautiful quote saying that he, Terry Venables was a Palace icon and he'll never be forgotten. Um, he said that he really set the blueprint of, of what Crystal Palace football teams looked like going forward and it was something that he tried to emulate when when he and Steve Coppel were in charge. Um yeah, it, it's a it's a very sad day for football on on Sunday when it was announced, and uh, he'll be he'll be sorely missed as a as a as a charismatic as a charismatic person and and as a football man. Yeah, Jack, uh, we're obviously the between the three of us. It's all a little bit his best moments with Palace were a little bit before our time, but it's also a mark of that time, particularly in his first spell, where twenty years later there is a clamor to bring it back to the club yeah. and it is like huge news and a banner sort of marquee appointment because well he managed at the very top level had achieved some really amazing things and you know he it's intrinsic in palace history and and everything that Brack has just said there is just character and charisma are the kind of words you hear you've heard a lot over the last few days because I mean this is a guy do you remember he did like a 
he's doing World Cup songs, he's singing on TV and even outside of football. Someone that connected outside of the game as well as with plenty in it. Just a, yeah, massive, a massive loss to the game. Yeah, yeah, very sad to hear the news on, on Sunday. Yeah, as you mentioned, Joe, like similar age to you. So Euro 96 was was my first experience of England in a major tournament. Didn't qualify yeah. for USA 94, which was the first tournament that I remember. So to see England in a tournament and and Venables was was obviously so influential in that run to the to the semi-finals. But if you look back at his first spell at Palace in particular, I think what's so impressive is to kind of just note his transition from player at the end of his playing career into an assistant manager to Malcolm Allison, then into the main man and the two successive promotions. Um, all the two promotions in very in very quick uh, succession of one another. So going from third tier to first tier with you know the blood in the likes of, of Kenny Sansom and, and Vince Allaire, Jim Cannon becoming more of a, of a figure within that team. You know, you can see why the that team of, of that era is still held with such high regard by Palace fans who were lucky enough to see that team in, in full flow. I think it's remiss to maybe not for us not to maybe mention the second spell. And there's a lot of Palace fans who have mixed feelings towards that second spell. Venables is amongst all of that. So appreciate it. You know, some people listening on will want that at least acknowledged, but you know, given the news on Sunday, I think it's right that you, you look at the positives and, and that team of the eighties, um, as you say, that never came to pass really was, was so exciting that it wasn't just Palace fans that were excited. That was the team that was the talk of the country. Yeah. It wasn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't a self coined term, was it? It was, it was no, bestowed upon no. it. Yeah. They they were the team of the eighties. They had so many youngsters coming in, and, and you know, one, you know, many players in that team had great careers. But but Kenny Kenny Sansa went on to be England's left back for a decade. Like you know, some real star turns in that team, and and that team was made better by the management of Terry Venables. So very sad news. It's uh, I guess any passing of of a, of a manager or a football figure who's had such a career um, kind of resonates for so many fans of different clubs because Venables was, was so well travelled. But um, sad news and, and you know if, if there anything can be taken from such sad news it's that hopefully some Palace fans have been able to kind of wind their mind back to, to what was one of the, the better teams in the club's history. The main thrust that I got from it from speak, speaking to everyone is that it felt like the sort of South London Busby babes. I don't know whether mm. that's something that's sort of applicable to it but all of these players coming through the academy and, and playing this wonderful football Alan Smith labeled it as a young attacking vibrant team and that's what Crystal Palace should be um so yeah obviously I'm um, due to age never 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 got to see them play but I've seen the documentary and, and heard stories about them so it sounds like a, an amazing time for the football club and sort of similar well not similar but when one of my favorite times supporting Palace was seeing the likes of Kieran Cadogan Nathaniel Pinney Kieran Cadogan uh, uh, who's Jalali Kieran Jalali all coming through and, and playing in the first team just because you felt this sort of sense of pride with them. Uh, and I can imagine having a, a swashbuckling style of play with a team that was actually very good in the, you know, knocking sort of Liverpool off their perch at the time must have been an amazing time for fans. So, yeah, he'll, he'll be sorely missed. Uh, what, what hadn't hit me, and I'd, I'd take on everything you say in their open, and just in addition to that, I think I hadn't really realised that it was a spell as Crystal Palace manager and then his spell as QPR manager, which really led him to the opportunity of becoming the manager of Barcelona, which yeah. the, to talk about nowadays, now? would, it's just absolutely incredible to think that, that spells at those two football clubs led to the opportunity at the third football club. And, and the idea that that would happen nowadays is, is uh, yeah, <laughs> probably very, very unrealistic. But it was that spell at Palace, which, you know, led him to, to then move on to QPR, 
um, and and then get the spell in 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 Barcelona and, and and win for what at the time was Barcelona is only their tenth league title. Like Barcelona were not the juggernaut that they are today. They they were a club where Venables had to do a lot of work in order to to kind of turn them into title winners in Spain. So yeah, leaves a leaves a lasting mark on on Palace's history for sure. Yeah, um, I promise you, listener the 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 atmosphere, the energy of this pod doesn't get any more positive and upbeat than that. I guess it's all downhill from here because, um, you know, the main headline from the weekend uh, in terms of the current 11, uh, we scored our 600th Premier League goal. That's, that's, mm. that's the takeaway, right? What a goal uh, it was. And what a goal it was. Um, but no, oh, let's get there. We've, we're all at Kenilworth Road on Saturday and we saw Palace conspire to lose the game 2-1 to Luton Town, their first home league win since returning to the Premier League. Um, let's go in chronological order first. I maintain, despite some of the list of questions that we'll go through later, I thought we were very good and very exciting, even in the first half especially. Um, some really nice one-touch football in the forward areas. Um, Edouard gets a lot of stick for kind of his hold-up play and how inconsistent it can be. I think Tom Lockyer was even praised on match of the day for quote unquote dealing with him. Um, but I actually thought there were a lot of times where actually that kind of one touch stuff, Edward was often back to goal, but laying the ball off almost just almost um, trapping the ball rather than passing it, trapping the ball in front of him and spinning and running in the, in behind. And it would be Elise as a sometimes schlup picking up that ball that he's just trapped. So really like intricate stuff. It, Yes, it didn't lead to a goal, but I actually thought going in at half time, we've got it's all it's all here for us. I thought we were playing really well. Am I overstating that that part of it, Jack? No, I I, I thought particularly the first twenty minutes we were very good. Um, I'm not quite sure how long was on the clock when Elise put one that just kind of whistled past the post, and I, I think there's less than five minutes on the clock when that happened. And yeah. and if that goes in, we we probably you know dominate the game even more than we did for that first twenty minutes. Um, it wouldn't have been unfair for us to be uh, at least one ahead by the time the uh, the halftime whistle came. Um, but yeah, there were positives. The fact that Ebbs and, and Elise gelled immediately um, that that was great. I thought Edward in the first half was was okay. Even Jeffrey Schluck was contributing to the final third, which is a um, a rare thing to say so far this season. But even he was joining in. Um, Czech Decoro was playing some nice passes, and we'll obviously come on to Czech. But Czech was playing some nice passes into that final third with, with Ebbs um, finding space at times. So, no, I wasn't particularly put off by that first half performance. The only disappointment was that, that we went into to half-time level and that Ebbs did seem to struggle in that last five minutes um, of that first half due to, you know, I was in that the kind of half of the, the away end and, and how the linesman who, you know, is what, 12 yards away from that doesn't foul because it's actually the foul is one thing. But I think where the injuries happened is the kind of second action from... Yeah. From the defender, so it's, it's incredibly frustrating that we're now going to lose Ebbs for for three or four weeks when the the linesman could, in essence, have stopped that from happening. But you know, let, let's not get onto officiating so early on in the podcast. <laughs> but no, I agree with you. First half, there were definite positives, and the game turns on on two substitutions we have to make in the first six minutes of the second half. Yeah, because within what ten minutes of that second half, what Ebbs obviously tried to come back on and and run that off, and it. Yeah hasn't materialised, it, it's, it, you know, it's an ankle issue by the looks of it. And despite, uh, Jack's hinted at, despite, I think Nick Godwin of uh, BBC Radio or B- Radio London had 
kind of caught him on the way out in the mixer saying, you know, I'll be all right. But there's fears that it could be as, as much as four weeks. But then, mm. and then what, within five minutes, check the core is down under no challenge. And that, so, you know, that there's fears that that's an Achilles injury that could be that his season done, which I mean, that's, we've had some big injuries already this season. Um, simultaneously that's this is this is um our worst fears realized right in terms of yeah. the, the depth being challenged it was always a concern uh when the window shut where we were good we could be exposed with a couple of injuries but we're really with with key players it, it's it's a, a rough spell ahead yeah it was i mean that sort of five minute spell was you had to sort of cover your eyes didn't you when check the core went down because you thought i can't believe this is happening you've lost your You've been so excited to see Michael Alise and Ebrichi as they start a Premier League game of football together again for the first time this season. And then we lose Eze. Okay, we've still got Alise. So that's that's a bit of creativity, at least on the pitch. But then our key sort of holding midfielder who who knits it all together, who wins the challenge, wins the ball back, lays it off to Lerma or to someone else to play it forward. He's got a terrible injury. And the stretcher came over so quickly, I thought they might have rushed us a little bit, yeah. but it was clear. It was clear. He was in absolute agony. Yeah, the press box at Kenilworth Road just sort of looking straight down, and and he was walking by, and, and you could just tell it, it was going to be a serious one. Um, yeah, it, it it was a the result. I mean, the game overall, the performance was I thought was okay. Like I, I thought it was good. I thought we, you know, on another day, Lerma's header at the end goes in. The first time we've hit the the woodwork this season. Um, Michael Elise's header as well, where, where he's just looped it over, goes in, and, and we take a point. Um, but Luton were, were rough and ready, and I thought what JD said on the on the post match pod was pretty much spot on. That they were sort of us of of Tony Pulis era. The crowd was really up for it, and and Palace sort of struggled that, with that a little bit. Um, but in terms of losing Eze and and Decore, especially for how long he's going to be out for, it's. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not good news. Not good news at all because uh, this squad is is thin thin enough as it is. I, I felt, and just on JD's point, I felt the point that he made in addition to that that we couldn't resist playing at their level. They brought us down a level, mm. and as soon as we did that, I felt the game was 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 lost in in terms of the control of the game. And if we came away with a point, then so be it. But as soon as in that second half, and, and you're right, I mean, it was the subs that probably um, kind of caused that, and, and the change of of player and the, the dropping quality. Um, it just meant that Luton were able to get on top in terms of playing the game they want to. And I, I thought Ross Barkley was absolutely brilliant for them as well. I think we, we shouldn't lose sight of, of how good a game he had. He he ran the game, and particularly in the second half. And they had, they had a couple of players that really turned up. Um, you know, you mentioned Tom Lockyer, um, you know, <laughs> utilising tactics that maybe aren't seen very often in the Premier League anymore. But Ross Barkley really stole the show for me. I thought he was doing things that he was doing when he, first person on the scene as an Everton player, you know, what, 10, 11 years ago now. So he was very impressive and, and and he was able to drive the Luton team forward. But I think that was afforded to him by us kind of willing to, well, not willing to, but needing to drop to their level with the um, the absence of, of, of two very, very key players. And, you know, Edmund broke the story on Sunday about the fear being Czech Decor is now out for the season. And that is a monumental loss because... You know, we're only talking three or four months after Liverpool were being linked with a seventy million pound move, and there's there's strong indication that that was valid story, and, and Liverpool were willing to put that much money down on on a player. So we are now without, you could argue, a seventy million pound midfielder in the middle of our park, and and we don't have the depth in the squad to to match what he can offer us. And I'm sure we'll talk about Will Hughes, and you know, 
what he'll bring over the next few weeks and there are certainly attributes that he will bring but it, it's not the same and you also are going into the busiest time of the season seven games in, in a month yeah. Will Hughes' injury record I just can't see him starting each of those seven games yeah. so lots of things to, to talk about and, and I guess that's why we're here but there's almost too many things to talk about <laughs> yeah it, it's funny you, you spoke about you know playing to the level and you know we've actually our strongest starting midfield but I think everyone's first choice three Ross Barkley is still having a great time in that first half yeah, in, yeah. In, despite that you know you, it's difficult <clears throat> you couldn't really hide from that and um and then also, uh, what is you're hoping is not a trend, because um, while someone like an Elise came alive after those injuries and stepped up another level, not just with his you know equaliser, which we'll get onto, but the um, the disallowed Edward goal is a pass that he picks out from nowhere, really deep in inside our own half. Um, a goal which I won't, I, we won't spend too much time on. I think on a replay, you couldn't see it in the ground in a replay. Fair enough. I, I get why that's not allowed. Yeah. 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 Um, probably not deliberate, but very, very obviously influences how that yeah. ball gets into that goal. Um, so unlucky in that sense, but despite the work of Elise from there, you should you defend... put the first one away though, Joe. He should put the first one away. That's true. That's true. There, There is a, yeah, there's many things he, you, you see the full picture of, of, of Edouard in that. Um, <laughs> but then I, the two goals that we concede are, their goals conceded by teams that we have been up to this last couple of weeks look to be way above in terms of um, concentration and communication. I would have said our defense, even if it can be approved upon, improved upon in personnel, it's one of the most dependable areas of the pitch that we've had in the last couple of months. They've helped us get the points that we have got over the line with some big forward players missing. It's been, it's been about what can we what can we protect at the back? And they've really helped us this season more so than before. But this was a game where I feel like the Everton had some issues. I thought this one also the 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 corner it's not great. Um but the 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 winner is oh it's yes it's a great cross it is that corridor of uncertainty but you'd think I, I'm amazed that Anderson is looking at Sam Johnston at that for that one. I think there's just a miscommunication. Maybe he thinks he's close. He's a little bit closer to him than than he might imagine. I don't know. I I thought that's when you swing away with your left leg. Well, do you know what? Live, I actually thought the keeper was was to blame, and I um, was was talking with my mates after the game, and 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 that led to a discussion with another group of Palace fans, and some some words were had in terms of in terms of it. Having seen it back, yes, the centre back should be doing better, but equally. I don't think the goalkeeper is is blameless. It's clearly just a breakdown right. in communication yeah. between the pair of them. And Palace just should not be considered that goal. But I would apportion more blame at Joachim Anderson now, having seen the goal back several times, than I did at 4.40 on Saturday. Because yeah. the angle I was at, it did look like the ball was closer to the keeper. Yeah. But you're right. It's a, it's a decent ball into the box by um, their, their seven, who, again, he had a decent game as well. Decent pick-up from, from the lower league, uh, from, from Rotherham, I think they got him from. So... He's he's put in a very nice ball, but you don't want to concede that goal. You you don't want to concede that goal, and we shouldn't be conceding that goal with an England international goalkeeper and a Danish centre half, both of whom are going to the European Championship next summer. So very disappointing. The first one from a corner, you never want to concede from a corner, and we have actually been very decent defensively from set pieces so far this season. So that was disappointing. Um, 
two goals. You know, we had questions. I think it was Nav who asked us a few weeks ago after the Everton game about, you know, are you concerned? And I think the answer generally was, well, no, you know, Spurs and Newcastle, you know, to be to be fair, Spurs and Newcastle this season, Everton hopefully a one-off. And I think the answer was, hopefully we go to Luton and, you know, hold tight. And we're conceding, as you say, two goals like that at Kenilworth Road. It's not a great look. And you can see why many Palace fans are now panicked that, Roy's organisation of the team is now not delivering what Roy's organisation of the team has typically provided previously. Yeah. My personal kind of belief on that is two big changes in the game, two unforeseen changes. Roy is very, I would say, um, his, his substitution is almost quite fixed. There's very particular periods when he would like to make his changes. And those were, both were enforced upon him. Perhaps he should have anticipated that Ebbs might not be able to run that off, but, um, I thought what was really apparent at half time when players were warming up, I don't know if you're out there because there's not much of a, a way end concourse <laughs> at Kenilworth Road. I was, <laughs> I was surprised to see a bar underneath there. I was, it was quite surprised, but, um, uh, Jordan, I, was not doing the same warm up as everybody else. He actually came out a lot later than the rest of the subs. And I took that to mean that, you know, I think he was on the bench. One, oh, well, it was said before the game, I think Roy said to you, back, or certainly at the press conference, that um, Jordan Ayew got back on Friday morning. Yeah, he and he and Jefferson Lama only arrived in time to, to train for Friday morning. So I think when I think he did a sort of pre-match thing with Sky and said that we need to remember that Jordan's been travelling a lot. Um, so that's why he he didn't start the game. I expected Schlupp to, to start in that sort of role anyway, just with Ezeid Elise starting their first game. But in terms of that goal, the second one, I, I'd probably agree with the fact I think that Anderson needs to put his foot through it and take sort of command, uh, whether Johnson needs to to shout for him to, to put it through or what. But it was... Uh, it was a good point you actually make, Jack. I hadn't really thought about it through in my mind. We've, we've conceded a lot of sloppy goals of late. It's, um, ever since that Newcastle game, there's been a real breakdown at, at the back. I'm not really too sure what the, the fix to that is because now we've lost our key sort of midfield linchpin who knits it all together. Um, obviously, against Everton, Will Hughes had to start because Decore had that hamstring injury. Um, and then he goes off on international duty and then does this. Um not sure so many people are going to be too happy about that but then um yeah so it's there's a there's a few sort of problems in this squad that need addressing because it hasn't been hasn't been the usual sort of consistent self that it has at the back in in recent weeks yeah I'd... not not to not to preempt questions but just in terms of check do you think we go into the market in january to replace you can't replace him no. you can't you you replace the place in the squad do you do you think we will, not necessarily naming who we might go for, but do you think we actually will have to, given the, the dearth in that part of the squad? Well, I'm sh- not sure it would be in their plans to, to go out and spend you know, a large chunk of money on a defensive midfielder. I don't think that's what they were sort of preempting heading into this this window. Obviously, plans change now the Corey has this injury, but... Um, I was thinking about with the sort of loan market that's available. Calvin Phillips is the one where you look at it and think this would be sort of perfect. But uh, wages-wise, I assume he's probably on quite a bit. Um, but he needs to go out and play football. Um, Adam Wharton, obviously, he's been linked with us quite heavily in the past. Sort of the different player, though, from Czech Decore. He's a bit more sort of James McArthur-esque from when I watched him against Millwall. Um, but... I wouldn't say that even with the Coro's injury, there's probably a priority to go out and and get another CDM. Um, I could imagine that you sort of change it around a little bit. You have Lerma as that that holder, and then you play 
either one of Ahamada or, or, or Eze when he's fit again ahead of him and you play like a a bit like didn't we under Vieira we had the sitting the sitting midfielder then we had the two eights ahead of him yeah uh, I can imagine that's something Gangam that we yeah probably something we'd look to do again um, although Decore funny enough looks overrun in that system be interesting to see how Jefferson Lerma got on in that role maybe more minutes for David Ozo possibly yeah possibly I think he's been training with the first team this week so um I think he's probably one of the only under-21s who's been called up to do it. And that's, yeah, maybe you're looking at it beforehand thinking he's going out on loan. You know, physically, I've, I've watched him against Leicester the other night. Um, yeah, all over them. So, and he scored that wonderful sort of fourth goal he's at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's definitely been training with the first team in the past few days. So, that probably leads to, look at it, maybe FA Cup, he gets a chance. And you think if he does well there, it's all about, winning trust with Roy. I think that's Jez had won it before he suffered that horrible injury when he played against Nottingham Forest and that was a fair sort of litmus test to see where he was as a player. Um, and that's what the new signings have to do. I don't think French has won it yet. Ahmed is winning it a little bit more, his seventh appearance off the bench this season. So, but it takes time. I think it takes time to show Roy Hodgson that you're able to to do a job in the Premier League. I think... Um... I think Jairo Riedeval has just emerged from the cupboard under the stairs <laughs> God, as well. Think, yeah, sorry. Of course, I, he, played a, he played a game for us two months ago. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted at about 10pm last night, Jairo Riedeval, I just, I'd forgotten this whole discourse since Saturday and the news, that, or since, certainly since the news that we would be without check for a while. His name hadn't come up once and I thought, oh my God, no, no, he, someone remember that he's still there. I'm not saying he's the answer, but I, I imagine... It it speaks to his sort of position in the in the the squad that he's not even really re- remembered by everybody because you are looking to those those signings that we've had paid money for to be fair to kind mm. of be the solution. But yeah, it's I, I Brackett, I'm with you. I think the loan market is probably where we're gonna have to bail ourselves out there. That's on the assumption that I know we haven't used either of the spots, right? No, we haven't. No. Obviously, Lewis Hall didn't materialize, but um. On the assumption that maybe we we might have to use one of them for the the Ekitike loan, or if that's still in place, if that's still a thing. But the I would be I would be really surprised if we reallocated funds. I mean, surprise maybe not the right word. I'd be really probably still quite disappointed if the other areas that we've probably been working at to improve and recruit on and prioritize for January, if we are going to go in. To see that all that work just kind of discarded to kind of for this fix, it yeah. might be necessary. I would be really kind of disappointed if that was the case. Do you well, imagine pa- the next the next seven games will probably have an influence as well as to whether yeah. we go to the market and how how intensive our our search is for center center mid. Um, and not, fact, and- it, it probably will be determined by the end of the Bournemouth game a week tonight <laughs> or a week tomorrow. Yeah, because it's it's funny, you know the. West Ham Sunday and Bournemouth on Wednesday yeah, between yeah. them are probably the most two quote-unquote winnable games in that December run. Because after probably, that, it's... Probably until Liverpool. Brentford at the end of the month. Yeah, because other than that, it's, it's Liverpool, it's City, it's Brighton, it's Spurs in there as well? Chelsea, Chelsea in there, sorry. Chelsea boxing there. Um, and, then, and then you've got Brentford in there as well. It's mm. you. It'd be the sort of spell that we're probably anticipating to listen to questions later where there's been some kind of rustlings of Oh, what does this mean for Roy? But because if we're not beating, the thing you could always get with with Roy is, well, he doesn't. When he holds back newly promoted sides like Scrappy Do, no matter who how good they think they are, 
we'll go there and we'll get our three points and we'll shake their hands and ruffle their hair. We've now, when that is not happening, it's almost, it's, it's still quite so rare for us to do it. So we should be able to just kind of dust it off and go, just, just write that off. But when that, it's very difficult to, for some fans, I can see by the nature of the questions, it's very difficult to accept some of the less aesthetically pleasing elements of, of the game this season when you don't then pick up the points in those kind of fixtures, when it doesn't, uh, when, on those, in those, even if it is an exception, those occasions where that three points don't come out of that game, it all is a little bit more harder to swallow. Mm. But um, can, can we mention, just in case people don't want to make the journey into parts two and three, <laughs> can, <laughs> and I'd understand this stuff, can yeah. we just talk about Michael Elise just for, yes. just for a moment? Before we forget. Oh my goodness me. Just because I've not seen a player grab a moment like that other than Wilf, I don't think. I, I've I've seen players have great moments in Palace shirts, but for him just to decide I'm gonna score a goal right now as as he did, and for it to be as wonderful a goal as it was, and for it not to be Wilfred Zaha, it was just a great moment. And I, you said earlier, Joe, it's the six hundred we scored in the Premier League and, and that's a lovely thing for it to be because it, it's a landmark goal, I guess, if if you are are kind of minded to to consider those things. But just in terms of what a goal it was. It, it was just fantastic to be there and and see it and, and just be in the moment. And it didn't deserve to be scored by a team that then lost that game. Yeah. And it really should have been the launch pad for us to going on to win the game, and it wasn't, which is really frustrating. But what a player, honestly. The guy is absolutely but sensational. First start of the season, to pull that out, immediately after conceding the goal as well. Like, it is really like a, whoa, whoa, this shouldn't be happening. Give me a yeah. second. Like, took offence. Yeah, and we've got, I mean, you've used Wolf as an example. Somebody who has had some great moments, almost energised by the the crowd getting on his back, uh, the Huddersfield goal, similar looking goal actually, but very much led by the the fans, the home fans getting onto him rather than the situation on the pitch. Um, and then the Bournemouth goal uh, on the left, in the 5-3, it's very much a response oh, yes. to the, the, fan, the fan interaction. Whereas this was very much like a, Oh no 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 no! This is the the game's going away. I I refuse to accept. So, and and even in, but for that that last sort of ten minutes or so, twelve minutes added on at the end as well. By the way, Elise Elise could have scored another with a header, which looked yes, like it was going in from the other side end of the pitch. It was, uh, I don't know how quite how close it actually was, but it was. There was that chance. He, I think it was his was cross it, was it his that cross? that yeah. that Lerma hits. Hits the bar at the end, and then uh, there's also a set piece that I think is him too, where the ball comes in. Edward, I, I think, is offside in the end, and it's parried back into goal. And Gay heads misses a sitter, basically. Um, but I oh, think yeah. that was offside. But that's at least they were still making a huge impact from the game. That whole second half, he was good in the first half, but the second half was. It, it, it's it's enough. Uh, bless him. I, it's enough for me to be like, oh god, I'm. Do you know what? I'm not worried. I know some people are more than entitled to be worried after that, but you go, oh, forgot, I forgot, I forgot what it's like having him in the team. Yeah, I mean, it, not that he was doing that necessarily last season, but it was he was almost putting on a lot for other people. But that, as an individual bit of brilliance, was just um, deserved the praise it's got. A shame that the Garnett show is probably um, <laughs> it's probably going to stop. Yeah, it's going to stop <laughs> it from being goal of the month or maybe even a goal of season contenders as well. But just. Just an incredible moment that uh, deserve more, as you say. Joe, you and I are in the away, and we both went mental. 
I want to know if Edmund Brack, being the professional that he was, was able to compose <laughs> yeah. himself when that went in. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, my head was down looking at my laptop where Michael Lee say cold in that absolute <laughs> oh, <laughs> I saw the perils I, of working. Selzy like moves his arm to like tap me as he's like bracing himself for it to go in and I see the ball just fly into the corner and I immediately think well that is an absolute wonder strike but the the replay on the TV was slightly behind so I've seen it seen it cold and I mean watching Michael Elise out close and personal is, is what you pay the entry fee for isn't it I'm, I don't know what the view was like from from the away end but from the press terrible. box you're, terrible for everything right, terrible. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> you're right on the halfway line there's nobody in front of you Watching this guy play, he is a world-class individual, an unbelievable talent. Um, it's quite scary to think how far he can actually go in the game. I remember speaking to to Mark Bowen, uh, who's director of football at Reading, um, when he was at AFC Wimbledon as manager, and he obviously brought Elise through. And he's saying it's you know Palace fans probably won't like me for saying this, but he can go on and do whatever he wants. Um, he's obviously chosen to stay this summer, and we're very thankful for that because we get to watch him for another season or two, maybe. But enjoy him while he's here because he is far, far too good for Crystal Palace. The the, the natural ability he possesses is quite scary. Uh, he is, um, yeah, he's a very, very talented individual. Yeah. All great solo goals. You know, there was lots of clips after the game, probably questionable licensing on, on online, but the clips didn't even begin at the point where he collected the ball. That's how kind of absurd that goal was where he that, that's it what I mean when, when he when he turns that defender like that and just says it's it's on me now I've got to go and do something yeah um I a, Joel Ward, a Joel Ward assist by the way Joel Ward assist <laughs> I can't believe that goes down as a Joel Ward assist generous very generous yeah I yeah. thought Diogo Dallo's um assist was going to be the cheapest assist of the weekend but then uh then you text me Joe and said that's a <laughs> that's a Joel Ward <laughs> assist I mean that's a that's a good one probably the Probably the bright spark of his afternoon. He had a, he had another tough afternoon, didn't he? Let's uh, let's uh, not hide away from that. But I thought both fullbacks had a difficult last twenty five minutes, to be honest. Yeah, I, 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 Mitchell and I, you on that left side, didn't work a lot. It didn't quite work. Uh, a lot of sort of not confident passing, but also kind of turning back on yourself. You can't expect Jordan Ayew to turn back on himself and win the foul every time. Somehow, sometimes you're going to have to do something a bit progressive, and it didn't quite work on the day. Um, I thought also, we, yeah, being hit on the counter towards the end. Yes, we're obviously pushing for equalizers and then the winner, but we were, we were getting caught in behind a little bit too much and it it wasn't great. And it did mean, despite what we've all said about the first half and some of these in brilliant individual moments and chances that we could have taken at full time, it wasn't it really wasn't pleasant in that way. And was it, Jack? I, I, there were a lot of kind yeah. of fighting between... Cause a mixture of Palace fans being like, "Don't boo them! Don't don't give them the grief! They don't deserve that." Particularly, a uh, there'll, be, there'll be some players in three, two, one that I, I'm sure will come up who I thought were outstanding on the day that didn't deserve the kind of bollocking that was sent in their direction. But and you had a mixture of those and people who were like, "Well, I'm entitled to vent how absurd this result is. I shouldn't be in Luton's way and and seeing us <laughs> give give the goal away." And yeah, I I, I find I, I find. The, the toxicity within the away end reaches new levels when it's an away end that requires such um, high points lo- loyalty. Yeah. Such loyalty to the club. And I think it's so difficult to get a, a ticket um, for a game like that. And you've, you know, that's almost the reward for doing 
all the northern games and the midweek aways. You know, that is that is that is the benefit of of doing all of it. That's the bonus. So when you get that moment that isn't shared by that many Palace fans, it reminded me a lot. And I, I didn't go to this one I'm about to mention, but I heard lots of stories about it. The first time we went to Bournemouth, I think, in 2015 right. on a boxing day, and it was a nil-nil. And it was a crap game and there was a lot of kind of palace on palace chat and it wasn't a particularly nice atmosphere from what I understood. It, it, that, the, the, the away end generally on Saturday was, was okay, but towards the end there was some real animosity amongst Palace fans towards each other. And it, and it wasn't particularly nice and, you know, leaving the ground, you did see the police having to intervene between sets of Palace fans and it, it's sad. You never want to see it. it. It probably was the most toxic away end I've been in since... Brighton, Since Brighton, Brighton was Since Brighton in March, but then again, that was really bad because you know that was the end of the the end, yeah, that that end of the, the line, wasn't yeah, yeah. The, we all knew the manager was likely to go in the next week at least. Whereas this time, I think it's more the frustration of that particular result, but that particular result does bleed into some feeling amongst elements of the fan base regarding Parish, the general ownership, Roy. Joel Ward, Jeffrey Schlupp, whatever people want to pin their frustration on, that type of result gives the person the leverage to do that. And and it was difficult to listen to a lot of it. Some of it may be fairer than other bits, but yeah, it wasn't particularly nice. And and to be honest, I just got my head down and and we just got to the station and got out of there. To be honest, it's um, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those. If they do stay up, I'm I'm not sure I'll be looking to do Luton away next season. That was my next. That was my next question because I too I too got out of there lively. I was I was sort of home by half seven. I couldn't believe it, but I I do wonder. Yeah, next next season, obviously, lots of people taking photos on their way in. Get get first the 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 main entrance to the away in which they've at least tied up with some uh, Domino's one of those pizza sponsorship. <laughs> Good luck to them, and then. Um, there was, and then of course, there's the bit that you climb the stairs to the away end. Yeah, um, I do wonder if unreserved seating plays its part in a lot of the huffing and puffing because there's a, it all suddenly got a little bit political as people have to try and keep their free spot yeah. space clear and all that. There was a lot of sighs and murmurs between people as people were sort of arriving late and sorry, can I just slip in there and all this stuff. But yeah, I even I was surprised there were a bar facilities and somehow space for that underneath there, which meant that I, I got there nice and early and in the end I was able to still have a nice little pre-match bit but yeah I, I've, I'm not in any rush for next year Some, we can go, other people can go there and yeah have done it now it probably would be fair actually wouldn't it given the, the limitation in terms of away tickets everyone that went this year you know gives uh, the, the next lot the chance to go next season but yeah <laughs> see how they feel about that <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah <laughs> that is a uh, that's a mega part one <laughs> yes quite um <laughs> You mentioned some of the concerns that people were entitled to. I think we're going to hear just one or two of those in listener questions. And that's coming up right after this. the five-year plan podcast sponsored by green king sport part two is the listener questions um lots of you sent in both after the game and also um earlier at the top of this week as well so thank you very much we haven't got time for all of them but many cover similar themes so i might group some of them together or there can be questions that uh similar vein to what you might have asked but didn't make the cut um 
We'll start with... Well, Hunter CPFC, I guess, right after the game says, when is Hodgson getting relieved of his duties? And But then you've also got, on the other angle, Bobby Miller says, you know, would you go for the next permanent manager in January to give him half a season with the squad instead of pre-season providing they know who they want and can get them? I mean, that's the bigger, big caveat there, that do we know who we want and can we get them? Um, and that leads me on to... So there was a Telegraph report on the weekend. It wasn't quite the dreaded vote of confidence, but it was it was very much... Cool, Hodgson could really do... Essentially, the time was, Hodgson really needs to pull a rabbit out of the hat over the next month, or it may be something to, to be looked at again. Kira McKenna's mentioned in that report, in that piece. There's also been multiple reports at the day of recording. Seems to be led by talk sports sources, make that what you will, that Steve Cooper's <laughs> ready, ready, you know, if 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 it falls apart at Forest, that they will be ready and waiting. Do you subscribe to that idea, Jack, that if we knew knew who he wanted and the next month it goes as bad as anticipated, would it would you would would it be something that we should be looking into that maybe actually do we get them, if not announcing, then actually bringing them them in halfway through this season? You know, it's this, this weekend's the first time where I've actually considered the the notion that Roy might not be the manager for the whole season. Yeah. I, I think for, for me, and I, I presume a fair few other Palace fans, given how comfortable the start to the season was, the presumption is that Roy will just manage his 38 games and then we'll see where we are at the end of the season, who's available, which candidates the club want to take on, and, and that will also have to be in consideration of the, the, the state the club are in at that point as well. But, you know, it's, it's interesting that all of a sudden there does seem to be a bit of noise about Roy going. I don't think it's likely in the immediacy. However, depending on what happens at the London Stadium and at Selhurst next Wednesday, um, those questions might be more prominent than they are right now. And it depends on other results below us. But I think the fact that the start of the season has been so comfortable and the start, particularly the three promoted teams, the Luton are now finding their feet, you could argue, but the three promoted teams had such a terrible start to the season that it wasn't really a, thing in my head at all that Roy might not be manager for the whole season so whether or not it's because you know the form is not good enough or the you know a viable candidate becomes available and we want to kind of seize the moment I guess there is a chance that that Roy will not be manager for the whole season but I still can't see it I still think it would have to be an unbelievable candidate become available you know there have been murmurs about Kieran McKenna since he started doing things at Ipswich that Palace are a number of clubs that are starting to look at him and Steve Cooper is is a known entity in terms of the club being interested in him. So those two names aren't new. I, I guess the one that maybe is a little bit new and was mentioned on, a, on another Palace fan podcast last week, winging it, was was Julian Lopper-Tegui and I hope I get my P's and my T's in the, the right order there. But, you know, that's the type of candidate that you think actually if he was readily available would the club look to make a decision but there's a lot to do with Julian Lopetegui and, and the reason why it didn't work out for him at Wolves as well that would have to be considered so yeah. I don't know I, I don't I didn't leave Saturday thinking anywhere near the same as I left the Amex in March thinking the manager might have to go now like I, I still don't see that and I you know, people will argue the result was terrible and the result on the face of it was terrible. We don't want to be losing at Kenilworth Road, but the performance did have its merits. Like, I think in terms of... It's not a down tools thing, is it's it? It's not down tools. I think in terms... If we finish that game, you know, not on the front foot trying to equalise the way that we were, I, I think it would be very difficult to kind of bat the manager. But I think it's only Liverpool this season who have left Kenilworth Road with a higher XG than Palace did on Saturday. 
Like that is is not about going. It's just we didn't convert, and that is how you win football matches. But yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm not thinking Roy needs to to leave in any sense right now. But the results haven't been great. Um, the home form is a worry. Um, so yeah, I, I think the feeling that we need a couple of results, whether or not that's you know equivalent to Roy pulling something out of the bag, I, I don't know. Sorry, that's a very long answer to a short question. I apologise, no. listener. But um, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think Roy leaving is is imminent. Is is my overall feeling? Yeah, Brackers. It's something I've kind of sentiment I've passed on before in this in this podcast, but I feel like sort of maybe worth bringing up again. I I I think the nature of how we play under Roy, and particularly this season, I think a lot of the grumbles with the the, the game as a spectacle this season has been out of necessity because of the players that have been missing, particularly in forward areas. Um, as we are about to enter another period with a big key player missing in midfield, even though we should be kind of accepting that, aware that that is going to affect how we're going to play and what we're going to have to do to get points over the line, because it follows another period we've just had of almost accepting that points that we should otherwise be taking at the start of the season. We're having to accept only drawing at home to Forest and to Fulham because we haven't got the personnel. Going into another period of that again, people have sort of, it's almost like they're letting their frustrations take over and they're going, I don't want to watch that, therefore change must be the answer. But yeah. if this is more, this is a personnel issue still, right? As, as more than it is a management one. It's the yeah, injuries that change, the, it's the injuries that lose us that game, despite the mistake. Yeah, so I, I don't feel like we've given Roy Hodgson a squad that's that's capable of actually fighting for Europe. I, I don't think we have the talent or the depth in the wide positions that, that, that can get us the sort of points that, that we need. I mean, I think people need to remember that we're 10 points clear of the relegation zone at the moment. If we're thinking that this sort of next sort of period of games is going to go really badly, then the manager we want in charge, if we are going to be involved in the relegation battle, is Roy Hodgson. I'm not sure that there's there's someone else out there who's going to come in and it's not like he's lost the players by by any stretch of the imagination. These players from everyone that I speak to still clearly believe in him. Um, is he under pressure? Every Premier League manager is under pressure. They're, they're all four games away from, from getting the sack. Ten Hag was on the brink and now they're turning up to a sort of toxic Everton and, and wiping them away 3-0. So um, I think what what heightens Saturday and what sort of brings a lot of frustration is that you hear the news the day after Shaq Decore is probably out for the season and Ebrichieze is also injured. It doesn't, you know, it's not going to, I wasn't happy. So I can't imagine how, how a fan going is, is going to be happy as well. It's, um, you know, if, if, if going to these sort of bigger teams or these bigger teams coming to Selhurst, if there's someone you back to, to sneak a result against the Liverpool or Manchester City, it's Roy Hodgson, even without the sort of personnel. And I think it'd be important to remember as, as well, when we were playing Forest and, and Fulham earlier in the season, um, there were five academy products on the bench. You know, getting draws from those games was pretty incredible. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be in any rush whatsoever to, to, to be getting rid of the manager. I think it would be it'd be detrimental to our season if, if Roy Hodgson was to go. It's his job to walk away from as well, given what he's done for the football club and the way he came back in last season. It, he even probably gave Palace time to to look around to see whether there was... Well, he did give Palace time to he look did. around to see, yeah. to see if there was something better out, and there wasn't. There was nobody available. So you go back to, to, to the person that the player's like, who knows how to get the best out of the squad and knows how to do the job when there's not 
that much money to be spent on the squad. And um, there's a slight punt that we're probably taking here, thinking that the Premier League's not going to be that good this season. And there's three worst teams who are nailed on to go down. But then hopefully Saturday was a, a little bit of a wake-up call in some respect, knowing that we might actually have to spend some money here and not just use loan signings to try and bolster the squad. I do think when that is used as a criticism that the club have relied on the division not being the strongest. I think there's truth to that. I think the club have decided that, but Palace aren't the only club to have decided that. Yeah, I watched no. Fulham last night and they're half the team that they were last year. Uh, you know, you could argue Wolves have, have done that. I know they've got financial issues as well, but there are a number of clubs who looked at the teams that, that coming up, probably the day that Luton got promoted in the playoffs were like, well, there's one done. Sheffield United in a world of pain during the summer, probably thinking that's another one. The only one that maybe people thought would actually, you know, um, compete a little bit more are the ones that are actually bottom of the league right now. Burnley. So... It's um, it's a gamble that clubs have taken, Palace included. Um, but I think Edmund's spot on. I think the weekend may make people rethink that, um, and there may need to be a little bit more investment in January. Which you know, and a listener, you can mark this one off. It's not the best month to be doing business. It's not the easiest month to do business, and that is another fair. That's the truth. But needs must, and I think there will be some business done this this January. Well, that answers Andy's question, which was, do you think anything will get done in the next window or will we get the usual no value in January line? I think I think both can be true. I think I think yeah. we'll be told that we'll and, be playing over the still, odds a bit. and still yeah. having to look, look yeah. Palace will, as highlighted by the Dean Henderson signing in the summer, if Palace see value in the market for somebody and see that there's an opportunity to almost get a steal here, they, they're going to go and do it. Um, okay, there isn't necessarily the, the sort of pot of of gold in terms of money that that we can go out and just buy whoever we want but there are players who will be available for loan players who will need to get minutes ahead of the euros in the summer who who will be available to go players entering the final six months of their contracts who might be available on the cheap so the clubs need to sell them and there is value in january especially this january there should be a few options available it's just i'd quite like to see it get done within the first week and not the last week because you know, we, we have that break, don't we, in between uh, the FA Cup and the Arsenal game. I think we have a, a break then, but yeah, there's still points to fight for in January, so I'm hoping there's, <laughs> yeah. there is the a plan thing, in place. The only thing about Czech Decore is we've been missing him for January anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the who who else leaves for AFCON? Jordan Ayew? Just Jordan Ayew, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Schlupp's Schlup, Schlup, no, not, really uh, not really been a, a no. in contention for Ghana. I, I don't know if that's, that's a bigger issue there rather than... His form, but he, he fell out. Fell out with the the old manager, I think, didn't he, or, or something along those lines. I know Chris Hewson's the the boss there, isn't he? But um, no, I, I don't. Schlupp hasn't been called up for the past few past few squads, so I can't imagine he'll be he'll be selected in this one. Yeah. yeah. Um. If we're talking signings, let's not forget. We've only. Um, I think we're still. Are we still on one? One start from our uh, or one league start from our summer signings, or is it zero? Was Jefferson uh, Lerma? And Jefferson Lerma, yeah. So that's no, that's, that's the one. No, no one else. I think Holding and uh, Henderson were in the cup. In the league cup, I don't think anyone and else has started. And that's a lot. And so let's focus on one of those players, which comes from Tony Phillips's question. Now that Ebbs, hi Tony, thank you, Tony. Now that Ebbs is likely to be out for a while, surely it's time for Francis to start now. I imagine there's a lot of people that share that sentiment. Um, my money says Hodgson's going to go a hammerer over before he gets there, right? Am I or are you either are you a Schlupp being moving into midfield even 
before Francis has a start. It's one place up the rung for Matthias Francis, I imagine. But would you be surprised to see him start in the next fortnight, let's say, and uh, and then if not then, then beyond? Well, I mean, if if Armada is the competition, I, I actually thought Armada was dreadful when he came on on Saturday. I thought that was a really poor substitution. Uh, not a substitution, sorry. It was the right substitution, just a, a really poor 15 minutes. He, he didn't look like he got his his feet on the ground properly. He was skating all over the place. His, his first touch was ropey. His control was was not good. Um, and several moves broke down with, with him in possession. So I didn't think it was a particularly good audition for him to be that Ebbs replacement. I think it's probably more likely that, that Jordan Ayew comes maybe into the middle. I mean, we might even see the Edward as 10 and Mateta number nine revisited who knows but I think he is still probably ahead of Matthias Franzer in terms of likelihood of starting a Premier League match I, I don't think um and it would be you got to remember it would be his first Premier League start Ahamada hasn't started a Premier League match yeah. under Vieira or Roy so it would be brand new for him as well but Franzer um I mean again and it, this including myself here I, I was accusing the manager of of you know, not utilising him on, on Saturday. And then I was corrected by someone else that we'd made our three windows of substitutions because of the, the double quick time of two yeah. substitutions early on in the second half. So there was a reason why by France wasn't brought on, but I, th- I don't know. I don't even trust that France would have been brought on, even if there was a window to bring him on, to be honest. I, I just don't think Roy fancies him right now. I hope we do see him throughout December. We're going to need to see a few more players. Chris Richards among them. I think we'll see a bit more of Chris Richards. Um, Nathaniel Klein will see probably covering in at right back but France you've got to hope see some minutes because otherwise the accusations that we shouldn't be spending that money on that player in that window will just get louder if we don't see much of him during December yeah and a period where there's a huge turnover of games there will be there would be rotation with a full strength squad in in December is it seven games? I believe so pretty sure yeah we've got yeah. At a time when, you know, remove context of this season, you would still look at this period as a nightmare for squad depth and a test of people's fitness. Because I, I, I'm thinking the first Vieira season, we tail off because James McArthur gets injured in this exact time and we miss he misses November, December games and Let's not forget, I think that that win at Watford, the 4-1 in late January or, or early February, people were starting to whisper, maybe Vieira hasn't got... Like there was, the murmurs were as far back as then. Yeah. But it's because we had players missing. I can remember another season under Roy before lockdown where we had horrendous injuries. Um, even his first season, we're playing Zahar and Townsend as a front two where we get our first win. And then, and then later on in the season when Wilf has another injury... But Bakri Sacco up front on his own. Yeah, Bakri Sacco, Alexander Sorlot. So, yeah. like, there have been difficult times before. And, and it's always at this... And, it, and it's so often at the turn of the, the, the year, calendar year. Mm. And so, knowing what, you know, history says that it's, it's now almost for tradition you're going to have injuries rather than just precedent or, or just... Just obvious, it's going to happen. So there's going to be some opportunities there for him. I just don't know if it's going to be as a starter. I think he's going to, yeah, I, I don't know. The FA Cup third round screams uh, Mateus French first start for me. I've, I've completely forgotten that we we released Bakary Sacco only to re sign Bakary Sacco. <laughs> completely forgot we did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and he is available. I'm sure he's available. If, if, he is. He's a free agent. Yeah, he is a free uh, agent if we wanted to do it. Yeah. Let's, let's give a quick shout out to uh, another free agent who's returned to these shores. Yannick. Oh, yeah. Joe, go on, man. I know, I know you love him. Yannick Belazzi's got a, I believe it's a two-month deal or something like that until, uh, if not the end, until the end of the season at uh, Swansea City. Uh, he's 34 now. Um, scored double figures, I think. Uh, 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 the team he was with promoted from the second tier into the Turkish top flight. Um, I, we were cruelly denied a Belazzi and uh, Zahar reunion in the Turkish Super League of this Turkish season. League, he, opt- yeah. he opted to kind of not renew his deal and try try his luck back in England and it, he has finally got an opportunity so it, it was a it's, a it's been a good month or so for the the ex-Palace wide players in their 30s who were free agents Andrews Townsend uh, didn't quite pull up trees against us on Saturday but you know it's been good to see him back in the Premier League and and, and Belazzi at Swansea I would love it if he tore it up there I, I'm sure he'll be used quite sparingly love that love that for Yannick and uh, just another mention for an, uh, an ex-Palace player who I know a lot of FYP listeners have got a lot of love and actually got name checked by by Roy on episode 500 Martin Kelly running again after a very yeah. difficult year out with a cruciate ligament injury so yeah all power to Martin Kelly because uh, yeah <laughs> one just, of the good guys totally I've just remembered on Townsend by the way uh, Luton obviously ecstatic that they won their first home game of the season. They're doing a lap of honour. There's a lot of jeering of the Palace players and, and stuff too. Elise gets a lot of stick because he shushes the crowd. Andros Townsend makes sure to run to the the away end. Never, never actually got the chance to say goodbye at Palace. Mm-hmm. And obviously his first game back at Sellers was that Everton Cup quarterfinal where he yeah, has that horrendous injury within the first 15 minutes. So got a it was in amongst it was right in amongst of all these people arguing around me and spitting in each other's direct just foaming at the mouth and just Townsend just kind of tempers it for a brief 10 15 seconds where everybody actually gives him the ovation that he probably deserved and I thought that was a nice touch before it all just the chaos resumed immediately after he turned around and uh, and went back to the tunnel but yeah it's it's I, you know I'm one of those people that I like to see former players go on and do well if I if I remember yeah. the time at Palace fondly um, I'll, I'll track their careers from there. So it's good 100%. to see as many back in the game. Can, can you tell, Lisa, that we don't want to talk about Luton anymore, that we're talking <laughs> about Martin Kelly and Andrew Townsend? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, go, well, I'll go for one sort of more set of questions, which are flips to kind of the general tone that we got. And we have covered it slightly, which is, you know, James Morrow. That was just a bit unlucky, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it's not the first time we've lost to a newly promoted team away. So maybe we need calmer heads. And Matt Tassel says, similar, which maybe is it's just a, a different outlook I've not seen too often, which is, have we reached our ceiling? And if so, how long will fans be content to remain stooping in a stress position? I took that, I interpreted that to be, are we, are we, not the collective we, rather than necessarily us on the pod, are we banging our heads against the wall for a kind of status and, an aspirational state that Palace could be and place that Palace could be that actually requires investment that only comes from selling the best players that we've got or um, new ownership that we're not going to get new owners between now and January. Mm. Even the, the the very helpful investment we had from John Texter at the time, I remember the stories of him being at the Sheffield United game in lockdown 
like months and months before he was announced. It was like halfway through the season. These things take time. They're very litigious. There's lots of what they like to call tie kickers, people that make an inquiry, have a look around, ask to see the books or whatever. And it turns out that it's not a deal that works out for them. I, I feel like that the ownership system as fractured as it is at the moment is kind of what we've got. And maybe that's why I, I know sometimes we get, we can be accused of being pro parish, pro Hodgson, particularly having had him on the previous episode. I can see how that looks. And, yes. And thank you, Roy, for coming. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for that time. <laughs> and thank you to Steve Browett for, for former palace co-owner for supplying the, the accommodation to do that. But I, I, I really want to, just to protect my own optimism. I don't want to be, I don't want to really get hurt over the same issues every week if there are issues that cannot be changed week on week. Mm. Is, is that is that fair? Am I being reasonable there? You know, yes, you could be annoyed with uh, for players' form, but I feel like things like the overall investment. If the I'm one of those people that assumes that the main stand is going to get redeveloped in the, uh, when it when they've earmarked it. Yes, it's been kicked up the road for so blooming long, but you know those kind of major structural long term improvements to the club, the infrastructure, that's that that will still be an issue and an annoyance in six months, in possibly even 12 months. So I don't see the point of grumbling about that. And just, you can do that. You can you can accept that without accepting Palace's fate and being just like, well, we're just lucky to be in the Premier League, aren't we? I don't believe that either. Mm-hmm. I do believe there are always room that we could improve with what we've got. But I do think the kind of, the willingness to just embrace the misery and the downfall after a defeat or just, Oh my God, we've lost two in a row. God forbid. Like it we're, we're a team in the lower half of the, of the premier league like that. That's going to happen every now and then, even if it's not the teams that you anticipated it for. I, I, do, what do, you think, do you think it's because what's above that glass ceiling? What, what is there and the perceived proximity to it is, is probably what does drive people mad myself. I mean, I got to be honest, even, even myself who, has remained an ardent supporter of the of, of Parish and, and Hodgson and, and sees the sensibility in, in terms of keeping the those figures at the club because of what's come with them being at the club. But even you know that result on Saturday, I'm getting the train home and I'm thinking, could we be doing better? Should we be doing better? And part of me thinks, yes, we we should be. We we shouldn't be losing at Luton in that in that particular moment on a Saturday night. Yes, I, I don't want to be travelling back from Luton having lost two one. But then, as you say, Joe, you think broader. And I, I think a lot of fans' frustration comes of being so close to what is deemed the riches. And, yeah. and you see a club like, let's pick one that's, that's doing really well at the moment, not not the, not the lot on the coast, but let's talk about Villa. Yeah. Let's talk about a club like Villa who, since we've been promoted, have been relegated, promoted back again, just about stayed up, and are now looking like one of the best four teams in the country right now. Yeah. What has led them going on that journey while Palace have been kind of hovering between 12th and 16th for, for that last period of time? Significant investment. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of pounds in terms of transfer fees, hundreds of million pounds in terms of severance payments, so the likes of Stephen Gerrard, all of his coaching staff. And I, I watched um, Villa at Fulham uh, probably 12 months ago, about this time last year. They got rolled over 3-0 with Gerrard. I think it was Gerrard's last game. Yeah. And now you look at them and you see the team that they are at Spurs on Sunday, and you think, bloody hell, could we be them? No, not currently. We couldn't. We don't have that investment. No. We don't have those owners. I thought that even with the, Lopete- with the Lopetegui thing as, as yeah. a link, part of his issue with walking out of walls is that 
the money that he was promised he was going to have to spend this didn't materialise. And he wanted kind of Aston Villa money because that was what he was yeah. used to the year prior. And yeah. we're never going to put that on the line unless we sell up everybody. And, oh my God, the meltdown when these big players are going to go. And they are going to go next summer. At least yeah. one of them will go. Maybe two if we're particularly unlucky. Weirdly, quite sick in a sinister way. I don't know. Decor is not going to go now in the summer because of that injury. <laughs> and it's probably... You know, I, I made great. I made I made that joke on Saturday and someone told me to fuck off. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. So it's which go on. Go on, on it, but no, 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 I was gonna say out of interest, which if we are to sell two or, or three players this summer, which two do you think would be the the best or slash the easiest to, to replace in terms of what they give to the team? Because I would have I, said the core I said oh, I was talking to Selzy the other day, CDM might be the easiest to player to replace and the core would have been one I was looking at thinking if, if we got rid of him we could find someone who could do a job but obviously he's a wonderful talent and but you can still find someone to, to do that sort of style of job as well uh, I think I think it's him and I think depending on how much you get for him and presuming that he features for England at the Euros I think mm. Mark Gay in terms yeah. of how much money he could go for yeah. would mean that you could him because you could in theory replace him with free players 40 million pounds yeah and still have money to spend as well yeah. um yeah that that would that would be yeah. my, my theory i don't think you can find another eberich Eze and, and michael lisa very easily no. for 25 million pounds between the pair of them no we did very well out of being cash rich at a time when clubs were ne- we were under lock under covid and desperate to pay their bills it was a we were we it was a perfect storm for us and they were getting good value out of some of those players that we probably wouldn't ever again Can, so just to go back to the, the ownership just to, my final point on it would be the frustration i have with the current ownership model is that one of the owners of crystal palace football club just spent the most money that's ever been spent to buy a sporting franchise in the world and it wasn't any money that's coming towards crystal palace it's, yeah. it's going towards a very mid rate possibly lower rate nfl team and just proof that people that are, are involved with the club do have access to monumental funds. I can see why Palace fans, and I include myself in this, do get frustrated of, well, can't we go and spend a little bit of money if Josh Harris has access to that you know, type of yeah. money? Could we not go and buy a, a deputy left-back for Tyreek Mitchell? Could, could we not possibly, God love him, replace Joel for eight, ten million pounds? You know, yeah. it, I get why people get frustrated, but then I listen to the Price of Football podcast, you know, with, with Kevin of this parish, and I don't understand half of what they're talking about. So, football finance, different, different language. Yeah, and uh, I, I've, I've said, I think, I think I said it even the last time we were on. I often wonder what if with some of the elevens that we've had, and certainly some of the squads, and. Also, we are also having these players are also injured at the same time. So yeah, we've got on paper a team. Some of, with all our best players on the pitch, we should be winning more than we lose. I'm at, that's that's something I genuinely believe. I think at the end of a 38 season, our best players, if they're all out on the pitch, would we'll, would we'll win more than they lose. Which sounds like a low bar, but actually, look at our last 10 years in the Premier League. I don't think we've ever done it. So yeah. that's if you win more than you lose, that tends to make put you in the top half and within a shout of of the European game of European qualification. However, we are not. We are we are a squad rather than an eleven, and we are an eleven that has had many of our best players missing across this season, and we're going to have it for what appears for at least one case the rest of the season. So, 
it can both things can be true. You kind of have to assess the short term as well as the long term frustrations. In my mind, the squad doesn't deserve European football. There isn't enough competition within the attacking sort of wide areas or depth, um, even left back, right back depth, to, to say that this squad is is one that can compete for Europe. I mean, you you lose Wilfred Zaha, then you enter the season without a replacement. You've basically admitted that you're not going to try and push on. You're, you're not going to go for top half or, or for one of those spots in Europe because the squad isn't isn't as good. So we've regressed. That's what's happened. We've regressed a little bit. We still have unbelievably world-class individuals when our starting eleven is fit. But we've lost our greatest ever player and we haven't replaced him. We've bought someone who could be very, very talented in the future, but obviously isn't ready right now. Um, and that's where that's where the squad is. It's 13th to 15th. And that's where we're going to end up 12th, maybe even if, you know, once everyone yeah, is fit on, again. Come on, but yeah, let's, let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be so funny if we get six points from West Ham, or even three points from West Ham or Bournemouth and people just calm down again as they did as they did after the win at Old Trafford I know that we're actually on a pretty bad run at the moment it's like one win in six in the league I believe yeah it is yeah that comes with context and this was one of the games you would hope that yes I understand Saturday we should have come away with something and that's what is frustrating because when things aren't going well you look to those games and you look for the gimmies as the and we'll, oh, at least we'll come out with something there we'll get away from turf ball with three points which we did performance aside again it was just like well at least we know we get the points from games like that yeah, when it like, doesn't when it doesn't suddenly people's the whole perspective and the whole the whole world looks like it's collapsing on itself but yeah I, I just dust yourself off and we go again They're like, you know I, I'm not I'm not crying it, it, too far yet this is this is just you know football fans I mean, in a nutshell and it the, the idea that we go and appreciate we need to move on to parts three which yeah. is at this rate going to be about two minutes longer <laughs> yeah, yeah, or even yeah, less yeah. but in terms of Football fans, there is an expectation that you go to a place like Kenilworth Road and win. And and hearing some Palace fans on on Saturday night and then into Sunday, it did remind me that during Mark Lawrenson's time doing BBC predictions, I think over 13 years, he never predicted that Liverpool would lose a football match. <laughs> so it's just what we do. It's what we do. We don't think we should lose football matches. It's Eddie. Yeah, we have you, keep the Eddie, coming back for more. We keep coming back for more. The great Eddie Izzard quote about Palace, I don't know if you know it, uh, they said... Um, I I don't ask for much except I don't ask for much from Palace. I simply insist that they win every single game for the rest of time, <laughs> and that that is ultimately how we all kind of yeah. see things. And yeah. any kind of anything lower than that, you're seen as a bit of a pessimist. And uh, you know, I, I just think, come on, guys, come on. Um, but yes, we are actually chewing into a lot of time here. So I will I will bring part two to an end there. Thank you to all the list of questions. There were an absolute ton more, but. That in itself could be another sort of two-hour special. So um, we'll jump very quickly into part three, three, two, one, where we pick up the positivity at least, and then a preview of West Ham away. by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. It's time for 3-2-1 after all of that. This is the game where we each bring someone or something forward that we deem is worthy of praise from the last week or so. 
should be a good one. And uh, then between us, we allocate three, two, and one point respectively. And there's a table, that, a tally that JD has locked away somewhere that, that determines who becomes our, I guess, official five-year plan player or thing of the season. If a thing beats a player, it will be it will probably sum up what the year is. Actually, um, I believe Mark Gay's top of this top of this list. Um, Easy, okay. So let's let's see what changes. Uh, Brackers, have you got someone that you'd like to put forward? Uh, I was just thinking about it. There, I think we're all going to go for the same one, aren't we? I think <laughs> I've yeah. got I've got some, I've got one backup. I think, but uh, okay. you know, you go for it. I'm sorry to do this to you, Jack. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take Michael Elise because I can't think of it. Hey, there's only yeah. one number one pick in a draft, and he has to do yeah. it. This week. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, a, a special talent to watch, like, uh, unbelievable. So, even better in person. Um, yeah, and a, and a wonder, wonder goal that, that deserves the, uh, the top spot this week, I believe. Yeah, I, there's not much more to say no. about that, is there, Jack? Just. Uh, I think cumulatively we could possibly give him the full six points this week. It was it was that good a performance, but I, I think we, we said it all in part one in terms of and sorry I kind of <laughs> preempted part three asking. I was just I just wanted to talk about him because it was it was such a wonderful performance from him and capped off by such a great goal. But what impresses me every time I see him, and obviously it's been a fair while since I saw him towards the end of last season, is is physically he's not daunted by. The Premier League in any sense. It took him a little bit of time at the start, you know, possibly up until that Christmas period of that first season. But since then, he's just been absolutely at it, and his his dexterity is 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 to be admired too. It's just everything about him. I just think, as, as Edmund said earlier, he's got it all. If if he has fortune with with injuries, and up to now he hasn't had a great deal of fortune. He's he's missed the last three pre seasons. Yeah, never had but one. That with us. guy, he's never had one with us. If he stays fit, if he gets a run, say, of 50 games in a row, roughly, he's going to be incredible. Say that, say he's able to play the next season and a half with a pre-season for Palace in the hope that he stays with Palace next season. God knows what his true transfer value would be in the summer of 2025. Not to say that that probably wouldn't be reduced somewhat by a minimum fee clause that probably is in the <laughs> contract that he signs. Yeah. But, but in terms of his true value, clubs must be thinking, my word, like we could get a hell of a player for the next eight, nine years that's going to play at the, the very, very top level. And I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Liverpool and Man City in particular will be looking at Michael Lise, knowing that Chelsea were interested this summer. But I, I think with with Mo Salah, you know, coming into his maybe, you know, twilight at Liverpool, I think they'll, they'll be interested in him from, from Saudi Arabia again. Uh, this winter or probably moving into next summer. And the fact that City, you know, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden have floated in that role since Riyad Mahrez went, but they didn't replace Mahrez. And, and I do think Michael Elise could could be playing Champions League football within one or two years very, very easily. Yeah. For a, for a for a very worthy team as well, not just, you know, people to make up the numbers. He he could be yeah. playing for a, a top table club. It's um, you know, it's a shame that that injury extended to the point where his first start of the season is on the 20-something of November. But there's no one that isn't delighted that we managed to keep him for this extra season at the very least. Like, that's... It will be the difference between us really looking over our shoulders and just kind of surviving safely as things are, I think, regardless of how the form goes. I think that that's the kind of player that every team in the division wants. Just an absolute difference maker. I just wonder, and Edmund, when I mentioned earlier about 
kind of Edward dropping as the ten and Mateta coming in. I think I I noticed a slight nod in there. Is it possibly <laughs> that where we go back to? But I just wonder whether an alternative, and and it would remove him from somewhere where he was so you know fruitful on 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 Saturday. But whether Michael Lise could come inside and play as the ten, Jordan I you go to the right hand side and and Jeffrey Schlupp play from from the left hand side. That could that could possibly be a, a solution. But we've seen Elise play as a ten, albeit not I think since Vieira's first season. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't particularly great. I remember a home game against Burnley where Vieira tried it and he, he persisted with it for the full, you know, ninety minutes and it didn't really do anything. But I think that physical progression that Michael Lise is displaying season on season, he, he could be better place to do it now. Whether or not West Ham away is is the game to do that, I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see in Ebrich as uh, absence, we see Michael Lise possibly come inside. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I was thinking about it earlier, about what the sort of formation or how you try and tinker it with the players at the disposal. And the one that immediately came to mind for me was the the Mateta up front with Edouard behind. I don't mind Edouard in that 10. I think he's he's almost like the presser. I know JP can press, not all the time, but he does do it occasionally. Um, but yeah, I think with with Ayu on one side, uh, are you on the left or slap on the left and then Michael Lise on the right? I think just because of how good he is cutting in onto his left foot, it would be a waste to have him anywhere else other than that that right-sided um, area of the pitch. Um, yeah, I, I thinking back to when he did play through the middle, he played quite a few times in the end of year. I was thinking... Chelsea, Chelsea, of... Chelsea at home when Gallagher was ineligible, not the not so yeah. the cup game, but the league game, I think he played. Oh, well, uh, Packing Ziyech. Yes. Scored last minute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, that was a similar time. That was a similar time to the Burnley game. Yeah. That would make sense. He didn't have the best sort of performances there, but yeah, I, I, it's definitely an option. But I'd, I'd stick to having him on the. I, on the oh, I side. agree. Yeah. I agree with you that we should. I just wonder whether the limitations in options for Roy means that he does try and make him more central. But what a player! Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, you've got to follow that. I'm gonna do myself a bang myself out and go last. But then and that's it, that's unless you take my my player pick. So is there any is there any anyone else you would like to put? I mean, yeah, I mean Michael Lise is is the obvious answer. But and I think this is probably aided by the comment from Roy that he also returned as late as he did. But I thought Jefferson Lerma had a pretty good game on, on Saturday. Um I was actually that, surprised that to was, see that was my pick. Was that your pick? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there were a few comments say that he didn't really do enough um particularly when Decore went off. But from what I could see, I thought he tried to do pretty much everything. He, he seemed to be ending the game with being our centre-half as well as our most prominent threat in the opposition box. I don't <laughs> really know what, what he was doing. But um, for someone that landed, having played um, for his country in South America on, on late on Wednesday night out or into Thursday morning, possibly, um, and then play as well as he did on Saturday. I think he's just quite incredible to be honest. I yeah. I flew back from Athens last week and it knocked me out for a day. So I don't know how yeah. footballers do it. But I think he's proving I've said it time after time, listeners gonna be bored of me mentioning how good a free transfer that was. But yeah, it, it just kind of blows my mind as to what he was promised in terms of players coming in with him to make him sign for Palace. When you presume so many other clubs would have been knocking at his door up to last summer knowing that he wasn't going to sign his extended contract to, at Bournemouth. But yeah, I thought he had a he had a very decent game um, on, on Saturday and again, probably didn't deserve to be on the losing side. Yeah, I think the last time we were on together, we, we looked at the international break and the fixtures and I think we joked that Jordan I, while coming back late, had a couple of gimmies. I think Garner lost to Comoros in the end. So like it didn't even work okay. out that way. Yeah, um, but 
Lerma played against Paraguay and Brazil. Like, you know, yeah. South America is notorious for being one of the most difficult qualifications. In World because Cup they, qualifications, isn't it? Already? Because they all, they, play, they all play each other. There's no kind of... And it, it's just like the best six go through. Um, to come back that late, as you say, in similar fitness concerns as Chet Decore, in, in the sense that had to miss a couple of... Had to miss a game... I think I can't remember which one it was now because of returning from international duty prior and being a bit groggy and leggy. To then put a performance like that, I thought was. You mentioned a moment there towards the end as we as um, we're pushing for an equalizer. He is the furthest man back and prevents a gluten counter as one of, as a court of makeshift centre back. He then we mentioned mentioned earlier Mitchell and I you not really connecting. He then. Let's sets the ball off to I think the right hand side, and is then receiving the ball on the left wing. In this, in this, this is in the injury time, yeah. and then as you said, and then he's hitting the bar at some point in the he was absolutely everywhere. Can't do it on his own, but certainly that that it by the way he finished the game. Certainly, I was really impressed, and I just thought deserved none of. There were a lot of kind of you know when you go on the BBS and they have a man of the match poll and they go. Oh, at least say Ted, everyone else zero. I was like, just no. Like he was actually if we if his goal goes in, it's two two. Everyone said, Oh, he's fantastic. Man's a magnificent player. What what a performance. Like they let they let those kind of minutiae dictate if, if how it there goes. was a voice, and I hope I hope yeah. this that also posts on the BBS appreciate this because this comes from a place of love. But if the BBS had a voice, I think that would be a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just oh, oh. but yeah, but from from where you, you were sat, was it a, was his a performance that kind of stood out amongst the 11 yeah yeah 100 uh, percent. as as you both mentioned he was absolutely everywhere um winning tackles i think it was a bit at the end of, i think when the final whistle blew he was, he was right by me on the on the sort of right right side uh, of the pitch and he looked absolutely done like just absolutely knackered because he'd given everything to to try and get get a point out of that and on another day his his header which crashes off the woodwork the first time we've had it this season goes in and and, and we take the point and uh, it would have been a a, a just uh, reward for him and for and basically for our performance as well because i no, I know. I know. Result result aside, I thought the performance was actually okay on the day. Like we had, as we've touched on a lot of times, we had a lot of opportunities. So, but yeah, I mean, what a shrewd piece of business getting him on a free transfer. Uh, unbelievable work, Ed, yeah. Edmund. You, you said earlier that that stat that's the first that's the first time in game what thirteen that we've hit the woodwork this season. I, I believe so. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter the other day. So maybe take it with a pinch of salt. But I'm pretty well, sure we. Uh, yeah, the place of truth and honesty there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, mean, to... I, I can't remember one. Uh, no, neither can I. I've been trying to think about it. I can't think of a time where we've where we've rattled the sort of crossbar or post in in games before. Um, yeah, I thought, no, no, I can't. So I, I'm sure we're going to get a flood of messages if there are. Yeah, do do let yeah. us know. Do let us know what yeah. uh, FYP fanzine on the. Go on, Joe. We, we're giving you a filler, mate. Who, who's your nominee? Go on. Well, this is probably an indication because I just want to applaud his first half performance. I think I'm going to give it to Ebbs. Mm. It might be his last points for a while, for the next month or so. But yeah. I thought a lot of the good stuff that was happening in the first half, he was very much a big part of that. There yeah. was some rolling through challenges. Obviously, not the one that ultimately ended, was an injury, led to his injury, but some of his turns, his one touch passing, um, the dribbling, you know, we. 
we've all seen it before where yeah it, it's actually it doesn't look like a sprint it's kind of almost half a walking pace and uh, it's like a light jog and he is just going past players really easily um it all looked it all looked towards his you know something we said about Michael Elise's goal that we spoke about with Ebbs I think a couple of weeks ago which was you know there have been testaments of him mm. Ebbs has these moments where he decides that we're going to win the game or we, like that something needs to change. And I was anticipating that to come from him second half, but then he limps off. So it's great that we have more than one player that can provide that. But yeah, that's um, because Lerma was my outstanding candidate beyond Elise. I, I, I thought I'll give it to, uh, to Ebbs and... Yeah. No, he would, it, yeah, I agree. He, he, was, he was very good. That first 20 minutes in particular, he, he looked very, very impressive and uh, was clearly enjoying having Michael Elise to the right of him. Um, just a shame that we can't get, you know, we what do we have? 30 minutes of the two of them against Everton, 45 yeah. minutes of the two of them against this one. We're probably not going to have them if you kind of put a, a pin in the calendar, maybe hoping Ebbs is back for Brighton. Yeah. So, I don't know, what was that? Is that three games he'd miss? Would that be West Ham, Bournemouth, and Liverpool? Liverpool. Yeah. Oh, and Man City, City away. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you're again, possibly missing and- four games. I mean, and- and again, it's if you huge, say if you you say in all you say in August, right? Oh, Zaha's not going to stay, and yeah. um, you're going to get to Christmas before uh, Elise and Eb start a game together, or, yeah. or, or, or can even do a full ninety together, mm-hmm. possibly, and they might not even do it until beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's like that, that's the context of where we are. Mm-hmm. You know, so like that that's that's how some of these results happen. Um, you, you'd probably yeah. say it's remarkable we have 15 points if that's what you were going to say yeah. at the start of the season. So, yeah, that, that's why so, and, you know that it's it could possibly be the first three two one where neither of the centre halves are featured actually this season. Thinking yeah. about it, but it it shows how bloody good the pair of them have been with the goalkeeper being on point as well so far this season. The fact that we're what we are where we are in the division, we're on the run that we're on. Yet Sam Johnson is still joint top of the goalkeepers in the league with clean sheets, and Gay and Anderson are top of that list for defenders. It's it's quite something to think that we are where we are, and th- those stats still apply. It's 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 been a very peculiar start to this season. I, I, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's just a funny one. Yeah, Let's, I think divvying right. up divvying up those points is going to be fairly easy for you, Joe. Go on. I'm good. Yeah, I'll take the lead on this one. Let's just agree. Three for Elise, two for Lerma, one for Ebbs. That 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 wraps that and concludes that very quickly. And uh, <laughs> let's try and close this bumper episode with West Ham away on Sunday, London Stadium. The last visit, very fruitful. Michael Elise in the last minute. Prior to that, horrendous. And we don't have the benefit. I actually saw a West Ham fan account today post that Crystal Palace will be without Ebrechi as a um, Chet Decore and Mikel Antonio for the Sunday's game. <laughs> as, Why and, is he out? Is he suspended? Antonio's, I think Antonio's got a serious injury yeah, on international duty. Is out for at least a month or two. So they will be without his services. And <laughs> I, West Ham, West Ham have West Ham fans just made me laugh. I can't believe. Yeah, that. I know. There's oh, the first time for everything. Hmm. It, they're a team that they're enjoying their European football. And yeah. their squad is actually big enough to contend with trying to do a Thursday and Sunday um, thing. You know, they will be more vulnerable than they would be if we were playing them on a normal week without European football. Mm. But those are the kind of glimmers of hope you're looking for, I think. But 
Brackers, if you are, if you're someone that's annoyed with how we're going to approach games over the next month, I think they're in for a shock when we probably approach that very defensively, right? Yeah, I mean they've they've done tremendously well in the in the window. Um, selling Declan Rice, they probably had a little bit of the fans were probably quite apprehensive about what was to come, but I think they've spent that hundred million and improved their squad massively. Kudus looks like a wonderful talent. I think he was like that the match match winner pretty much for them against Burnley the other week. Alvarez. Um who else did they buy and who else came in and they spent the money on it, it was uh, Alvarez. Kudus, uh, what, what yeah Ward Prowse with three tremendous signings and they've improved their squad. So um it's gonna be interesting to see what our midfield three is to come up against Ward Prowse and Alvarez. So um yeah I can't I can't imagine that it will be uh, anything other than pragmatic. But we then have Michael Elise, so I'm not it's exciting as well at the same time. We we have an offer we have an opportunity to take something from the game. Um I'd be interested to see whether Ahamada gets his first Premier League start. I think the way that I asked uh, Hodgson in the pre match conf- uh, press conference about Francher and he led into talking about Ahamada and how impressed he's been with him. So that's someone he wanted to mention. It wasn't one that was put to him. So in my mind, he's jumped ahead in the sort of pecking order and he's the next one in line. Last time Ebbs was out, he also had that injury. Um, yeah. He spra- sprained his ankle, I think, off the top of my head or, so- or something along those lines. So, yeah, it was um, around that Forest game, right? So he, yeah. he would have been the one that came in otherwise, yeah. So this is this is me looking at it. I'm thinking this is his time to come in and show show why he's he's been knocking down the door and asking for a start. Jack, he's had some... When he first arrived under Vieira, very... Um, exciting performances and displays, actually, and cameos. Not just steady, independent. It, there was actually some some flashes of quite exciting play. We haven't necessarily seen that in this uh, form that this this version of him that we're seeing under Hodgson now. But he's had to build his trust under Hodgson. It's a different kind of uh, player that we're seeing here. Do you think he's someone that can make an impact to, in the in a kind of role that we would be asking him to do on Sunday? I just found that that point that Ed just made there about the because I saw the quote about Hermada and Francia together. Um, I hadn't appreciated it was in response to a question solely about one player that wasn't Hermada. So that, as as Bracker says, kind of indicates that he's probably further along the gaining of Roy's trust than than we maybe give credit for. I mean, I, I go back to that that Brighton game in March where Ebbs was so poor in that second half. I was actually of the opinion that Hermada might even be ahead of him. Mm. At that point, I, w- I was thinking, well, Ahmad has shown enough in his in his cameos, having come in from Stuttgart at the end of that window, to, to be ahead of him. So I think it's probably beyond where we thought we would be that Ahmad hasn't yet made a Premier League start. I think there's a lot of actual fondness for Ahmad, despite the fact he's done absolutely nothing yet at Palace yeah. yet. But that is the way of Palace fans, that we like to get very excited about players that we haven't seen necessarily give anything to warrant that but I think there is there is a player there I, I did say earlier on that I was not particularly impressed with his appearance on Saturday against Luton um, but it would be completely and it would be typical Palace for a player to make their Premier League starting debut having had one of their weaker performances but needs must um, it would be interesting West Ham's strength is their midfield you know it talks about the players they bought in but you know they're, they've got Lucas Paqueta a year into knowing what the Premier League's all about so add him into those players that He's just mentioned there in terms of uh, uh, the, the Mexican lad. Sorry, I forget his name. The, the uh, Al- Alvarez. Al- Alvarez, who they got from yeah. from Ajax, Ward Prowse, and then Mohamed Kudos. You know, they they have spent that Declan Rice money very very well, and Mohamed Kudos 
guided them to uh, an improbable win on Saturday. They they were not very good on Saturday, yet they've left Turf Moor as most teams are going to be leaving Turf Moor this season with, with three points. So they come into this buoyed by that. I don't know what European game they've got on Thursday, but, you know, such is the way of uh, football science nowadays or sports science that, you know, it probably won't have as much impact as it would have done 10 years ago. But hoping that we get something out of it and, you know, buoyed by the memories of, of last November when we went there and, and, and got a point, uh, sorry, got a, 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 a last minute winner with, with Michael Lise. So fingers crossed that he inspires us to do something. I don't think it's beyond the realms of, despite all the doom and gloom, I'm not going and I'm going on Sunday. I'm not thinking it's beyond the realms of possibility that we come away with something. Yeah. That's, that's the energy you want the team to go in with it as well. I'm sure Roy will have his plan and he will have what that plan probably hasn't changed uh, an iota since once he was aware that certain players wouldn't be available. You know, West Ham away will be approached the same way, just different personnel. I, as yeah, they're probably looking for a response from some of the players that didn't have a great day at Kenilworth Road. Certainly at the, de- the defence are going to be busy and maybe perhaps they'll actually prefer that. It, it makes them less liable for those kind of lapses in concentration, maybe or mis- miscommunication. You know, this this is where they can roll their sleeves up and step up against some very exciting attacking players at West Ham. But um, yeah, it's going to be carnage and we'll of course be here for you after on a post-match pod, but also uh, a few days later. Actually, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves. With the Bournemouth game on the Wednesday, I'm not suggesting we... We're in, we're in approaching two hours here. I'm not so pro, I'm not suggesting we we preview that as well. But we, we might not have an... Are we going to have an episode in between that? I think we're going to try and squeeze in a post-West Ham one and then preview Bournemouth and Liverpool together. Because Liverpool is the Saturday lunchtime kickoff afterwards. Got you. So, yeah, listen, this is the <laughs> the the, uh, the level of thinking that goes into production of this podcast. Uh, so I think that I think it's possible that there will be a, both a, a post-match pod and a, a midweek pod before we play Bournemouth, which has been moved to the Wednesday because we're playing Sunday. But I think most listeners are probably more interested in whether Brackers is going to be going out for dinner again with Selzy after West Ham as he as he got treated on. So how was it? Dinner with Selzy, go on. Give us just a glimpse of of the magic. Unbelievable. He's telling me stories about how he started the business and everything. Yeah, it was a a true honour. He's he's, a a wonderful man. Uh, He he said we could go for breakfast beforehand uh, at Browns around the corner. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take him up on that offer and see what he says. (laughs) Weekend weekend event. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Given all we've spoken about uh, today, is there... Is there anything that would change your perspective on the broader outlook on uh, the club or or the management if we lost again on the weekend? Would it have to be a particularly? Uh, We'd have to roll over. Yeah, yeah, We'd, that, that's what you're coming for. Yeah, it'd have to be seven nil. It'd have to be like that Liverpool game. We, but you'd have to think that the player of, of like Roy Hodgson's lost the dressing room. That's what you'd have to think from the performance. But nothing. Nothing I've heard or nothing you see on the pitch suggests whatsoever that Roy Hodgson is close to losing these players. Yeah. Yeah. But, Some, but yeah. They, they enjoy playing for him. I can't I can't I can't see that coming. It'd have to be like that Newcastle more of that new Go Newcastle waivers performance rather than Yeah. Yeah. Rather than yeah. what we saw on Saturday or even the Sellers, the Everton game. 
Yeah, 100%. I I think, uh, you know, it it would have to be quite an astronomical disaster on on Sunday in terms of performance for me to to be further along in terms of Roy going. I'm more panicked about the Bournemouth game, uh, to be honest. I I am starting to think our our home form is going to become more of an issue. But given that if we don't beat Bournemouth, the, the home game after that is, is Liverpool. So that could be, what, one in six or one in, possibly one in seven home Maybe. games won by that point, right. um, which which would become quite uncomfortable. Then you go into the Brighton game as the next home game. And then let's not start talking about that lot. We've, we've, done, we've done enough tonight already. Don't need, don't need to talk about that lot. Yeah. I'm going to close that, it. That would, that, that, that would be it, Joe. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> hopefully most listeners are of the same opinion that it would, you know, it would have to be quite the the desperate afternoon in, in yeah, East London for us to be thinking it's not going to happen. Um, I've had way too much of your time, listener. Certainly too much of uh, these two gentlemen's time because there's even there's 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 bonus content that you'll not be getting on because of how much we've been talking before and between <laughs> parts. So. Um, I think we're t- t- two hours in, over two hours from when uh, I first went on the meeting link with uh, with Brackers. So <laughs> a big thank you for your time, Evan Brack. Pleasure. Thank you for for joining us. And uh, yeah, pleasure Jack, anytime. And Jack, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, for... Joe. Thanks for steering us through, mate. That's okay. That was that was your post loot event, everybody. Um, hopefully, I'll be we'll be joining you again after a much more happier result or outcome on the weekend. Until then. That was five-year plan. Take care of yourselves. Sports Social Podcast Network.